The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This episode contains language and content of an explicit nature. Listener discretion is advised. Before a song is released, a record is produced, or a chorus is written, the musicians that write them think a lot. They live a lot, and they feel a lot. Before the chorus dives into the stories and experiences that shape these artists, and ultimately, the music we hear. I'm your host, Sophia Lepercaro, and this month's guest is Gordy. Gordy is a solo artist originally from Canoundra, Australia. She's been championed by the likes of Bonnie Vare, and it's no wonder why. Her songwriting cuts to the bone. Her sophomore album, Our Two Skins, is Gordy in her most radically honest form. Each song paints a vivid, raw picture of the album's themes, from mental health and questions of sexuality to love and acceptance. I have Gordy here now to discuss it further. I was doing a little bit of a dig on your Spotify of the like inspiration playlists, and I found two songs in there that I was like really, really into when I was about 12. Um, one of them was Boston by Augustana, and the other one was Gravity by Sarah Bareilles. Oh yeah, so good. So, right? so good. <laughs> it's funny when you're like an angsty preteen, you're like, oh yeah, like you don't know me. And it's like, yeah. <laughs> you know, you're not really thinking about it. But when you come back to it as an adult and you listen back to the words and you just realize like how potent they are. Oh, totally. I was listening to them when I was like, you know, 14, 15. And I was like, this is the shit. Like it was so good. And then I think like, I, it's funny because I probably, you know, didn't realize what influence you know all that stuff I'd listened to as a teenager really had on me and like every time I go back and like I went through a bit of a like emo phase and even like this record uh, by that band Boys Like Girls their self-titled record I go back and listen to it and I'm like I've definitely just like stole some melodies from that for sure without even thinking about it. (laughs) It happens it's just kind of how it goes when you're writing but yeah um, another one that I saw there it's from one of my favorite albums from a few years ago I still haven't listened to their most recent album and I know that you've worked with people that worked with them so I'm sorry but um, Nobody Else Will Be There by The National is also in there and oh, like Sleep Well Beast has two of my favorite songs of all time Dark Side of the Gym and I'll Still Destroy You like yeah Sleep Well Beast like I obviously like I love Trouble Will Find Me and, you know, I, I guess that's maybe their, like, most popular record. I don't really know. But Sleep Well Beast, for me, like, that um, that's probably my favourite moment of The National. And, like, I think just, yeah, those kinds of, like, you know, the real moody um, piano that's, like, so sort of um, important to the, the record and just the way it's recorded and, you know, the narrative of how it was recorded in their sort of studio in the Midwest and stuff. Like, I was, yeah very very into it at the time and and still am yeah and it's funny so it's my favorite record of theirs as well and some of the friends that i've talked to like they're always like oh yeah but trouble will find me and high violet like those are the best ones i'm like no like 
for me and this is by the way we'll come back to your music there's a point in here that's very relevant i promise but like for example the song i'll still destroy you the reason that i love it so much is that i have like this 40 something year old man who has kids and like a life that is entirely different than mine and yet i feel like the way that matt writes you just completely understand where his head's at yeah yeah you know? yeah absolutely and i think you know that's like the gift of songwriting is you know, you, you write something that is so deeply personal um, and then you kind of float it out into the world and all these people grab on like it's a life raft. But speaking of that, like, when I think about the way that you've written this album and I know, like, reading through the PR, this was very much the here's everything out on the table album for you, but, I mean, I see that same value as a songwriter in this album, this, like, let me really paint this picture for you so you can understand exactly where my head is at. Yeah, I think, you know, and that's, like, that's how the connection happens. Um, and I think, like, there's something comforting about taking something so personal and then, you know, offering it up for people. And it's sort of like the story kind of isn't just yours anymore. And, it, I don't know, it makes it easier to digest, I think, when it's your own story um, that you can kind of, yeah, paint the pictures for people who are listening to it so they can connect to it in their own way. Do you find it more terrifying or more freeing letting these things out to people? Um, it's been, it was terrifying for the first, like, part. I kind of, as I was writing this album, I was, like, so aware of what it was going to be about. And, you know, sometimes you write a body of work and you look back and you're like, okay, what's the story here? But this time I was like, well, I'm so aware of what the story is. And I was like, I don't know how I'm ever going to, like you know, tour this record or talk about this record without being really transparent about what it's about. And I was like, you know, really uncomfortable with that. And um, I think, I don't know, there were just a few turning points where I was like, actually, I'm just going to be really upfront and honest. And I think it's because, you know, it's, I, I consider it a, a story worth telling and kind of another, another voice um, of, you know, a, a community, I guess, that, that hasn't, historically had voices that have been heard you know in culture or in politics or just just in everyday life given that this was such like a vulnerable album to write and to put out it must have been nice to be able to record it at home surrounded by people that you're close with and that you trust to work with absolutely yeah there's something really beautiful about you know this period of self-discovery you know and sort of re-evaluating of identity um, that I had and that I was having while I was traveling around the world and touring and stuff and then to sort of bring it all together back where I come from which is you know a small country town in the central west of you know Australia um, it's yeah there was something really um, grounding about that and you know it was almost like coming full circle to be like okay even though I've experienced all these things like, I'm actually still the same person. I've just had, you know, a greater breadth of experience than, mm -hmm. than I anticipated I would have. Yeah, it's interesting to think about that idea of those two worlds coming together. Because, like, Chris Messina and Zach Hansen work with, like, Big Red Machine and Bonnie Vare. And so, like, you, obviously, you're very familiar with them in your kind of outside tour life. And like you just said, you're now inviting them into your home as well. So it's like these two parts of your identity get to coexist as you write this album. Totally. That was really cool as well because, you know, I feel like for my family, like I, you know, would come back from these tours and be like, I did this and this and this and this. And, you know, it's it's probably hard for them to imagine or, 
you know, they haven't met a lot of these people that I've been spending so much time with. Um, and Chris and Zach, especially who I'd like sat in a van with for a few months in 2018 while we were touring with Sean Carey. Um, I, you know, to then be able to bring those two guys back to my own home and, you know, we like hung out with my parents, had dinner with them every night and like, we'd be in the studio all day and there was like something so cool about those like worlds colliding. It made me, yeah, made me feel really comfortable. And I think I couldn't have made this record in, in a surround that wasn't comfortable for me. Mm. It must be kind of like the platonic version of like a partner uh, introducing or introducing your partner to like parents for the first time and just being like, please like them. These I are know. the people around. <laughs> well, like even Chris and Zach, they like talk about like landing and they're like, man, we better like do a good job here because like this is like, you know, there's a lot at stake and we're like sort of on display um but yeah they did so <laughs> that's good and also don't they like hang out in wisconsin or something so i feel like even though this is another country it's not that much of a jump you know yeah yeah totally so they're like i mean well chris grew up in cleveland but yeah zach's from chippewa falls um in you know wisconsin so they um like the the midwest vibe is probably not like wildly different from you know the country australian vibe yeah, as a Canadian who recently moved to the States, I'm going to pretend that I know exactly where that is in Wisconsin. I'm going to pretend as well that I know exactly where Wisconsin is as well. <laughs> but yeah, so going back to the album itself, um, and this, you said something earlier that made me think of something that I have in my notes, how you said, like, when you first started writing this album, you're like, oh my god, I don't know how I'm going to get this out. And by the end, you were a lot more, you know, assured that you wanted to share your story and speak loudly and i hear that same sort of growing confidence throughout the album like when you start with aeroplane bathroom you literally got like i can't get my shit together i'm like just falling apart i feel awful and i don't know how to get these things out and by the time you get to free association it's like okay it's not perfect and there's things that are so complicated but i know what i want and i'm not going to hide that anymore yeah that's a really beautiful way to put it i think um and, you know, I think probably a big part of me coming to terms with, you know, telling this story and, and like being in a new relationship and, you know, questions later in life than you expect about sexuality and, um, you know, uh, coming to terms with that, uh, how that connect, like how that connects to your identity, whether that means that's a change in your identity, like all of those big questions, I think like, you know, while I was writing the record, Aeroplane Bathroom is a good example. Um, I, you know, I hadn't told anyone in my life about all those, you know, all the things I was going through yet. And so Aeroplane Bathroom is this real moment in time where I was like so incredibly isolated because I hadn't kind of had any of those conversations yet. But by the time I put the record or by the time the record is coming out, I have had all those conversations. And fortunately, I've, you know, been accepted and remain very connected to my you know family and friends um and so it's you know it made that whole process easier i'm just thinking of some of my own stuff like while i you know i can't say that i've been through the same things in terms of sexuality i could say that i have been through a lot of the same mental health stuff so there's a lot of parts of this album like that feeling of being alone i used to live in a 200 square foot studio apartment in london and so I was very much in that sort of, like, alone, isolated space, like, just literally just losing my shit and just being like, I can't just process things here by myself anymore. 
Yeah. Uh, I, I sort of hadn't really, you know, I think I hadn't really experienced that a lot in my life up until that point. Like I, you know, getting back from tours and stuff, you're always, you always plunge into a bit of a depression and I've, you know, experienced feeling anxious, but not, you know, not an anxiety disorder. I hadn't sort of, you know, had, um, proper panic attacks or anxiety attacks. And, you know, I think like anyone, when you're faced with, um, you know, some big changes in life, I just, I sort of felt like the things that were anchoring me suddenly weren't anymore. Um, and you know, it was a bit like spinning down a well thinking, how am I going to kind of get out of it? And, um, you know, volcanic and aeroplane bathroom are probably the best studies of that feeling. Um, and, you know, aeroplane bathroom is sort of largely unfiltered. It's just kind of the ramblings I had when I was sitting kind of in that moment on the plane. But volcanic was an interesting experience because I, I kind of quickly wrote the verses as they just sort of came out. But then I spent a lot more time crafting the chorus because I wanted it to sort of, you know, talk specifically about that feeling and what it feels like to sort of you know be spiraling out of control um Mm. and you know it's I think sometimes well I've always found songwriting it helps to you know you can kind of study a feeling and that that gives you control over it again when you know you sometimes can feel powerless against it yeah (laughs) yeah no it's just literally everything you've just said like when I had my kind of like really bad experience with depression and with anxiety it's right after I finished university so when you say that feeling of like feeling whatever structure and stability you had around you is gone um and you just feel like you're spiraling those like those are the words that I was using when that happened to me so I completely understand that yeah, um, yeah. and like volcanic in the last few days has weirdly come to me in like a time that I think that I needed it because to, I mean, to be totally transparent with everything going on in the world, I had a really bad panic attack about a week ago. And basically I was with friends at the time and, you know, like I got, unfortunately I was very cold in that moment and I'm sad because like, I mean, we're not our best selves when we have a panic attack. We can, like, I know I can get really snappy and listening to that song and feeling that fear of like I want you to understand what's going through my head right now but I'm also really scared that you're gonna look at this from the outside and not understand what's going on is a really particular experience yeah it is I like I read this book a couple of years ago called the Argonauts um and it is uh by this writer Maggie Nelson um and there's this you know it's sort of very like strangely written as in it's you know kind of scattered thoughts um and she writes this line in the book that's that says words are not enough sometimes um and that's kind of what I was thinking with volcanic I was like you know the end of the chorus is like I'd snap myself out of it and I'd tell you what it's about if I like if I could um but you know and the line in the second verse which is like it's all words and bookmarked lines you know and, and they sometimes just mean nothing and you even like I don't have the words to tell you what is happening inside me or what's happening you know in my brain or in my you know what I'm feeling um and that can be obviously so frustrating for the people around you but sometimes you're just you know trapped in things that you can't really describe 
Mm-hmm. But I think the comfort that, I mean, not only that I get from this song, but I think a lot of people who go through panic attacks, because, you know, we are relatively common, whether people realize it or not, is like, you know, like for me, when I see someone else writing those words, like what you've written, just spelling out exactly what I've gone through. I mean, it's the beauty of music. It's making you realize, like, no, really, you're not alone. And I know in this moment, you feel like nobody around you gets it and you feel like a freak. But this is something that happens to other people, too, and it's okay. And you can find peace in that. You know? Yeah, you can. Yeah. I think is really beautiful. Um, backtracking a, a little bit, but when I was looking at Unready and its position in the album, I kind of almost see it as the, like, expectation versus reality song. It's the, like... I, I know that I'm going to have to, like, figure this out and it's going to be a bit messy and weird. But, like, with any kind of journey, like, as much as you predict that things are going to come up, it's only once you start, you know, to go through unpacking that that you're like, oh, shit, like, this is what this is what this looks like. Yeah, I find, like, that song's interesting because I, like, that's that is exactly the, the feeling of it. But at the time, I didn't know what those changes were going to be like I wrote it at the end of my making my first album so it sort of is a bit separate like from the rest of the record because it's it was sort of it predates that whole journey um but I sort of I had this you know this sense that like my life was sort of about to take a turn and I didn't know what it was going to look like and I didn't know you know I I I thought yeah I'm ready for this to happen but I'm maybe I'm not like totally ready because I don't know what it's going to hold so it was sort of like you know, standing on the precipice kind of um, of your own life, I guess, and, and the direction, you know, that it takes. And given I'm, you know, in my sort of mid-20s, I'd, you know, finished school, finished college, like it was, you know, you sort of feel like you're taking your first step into the, the big wide world that's not, you know, structured. No one's telling you where to be, when to be. Um, and it's, yeah, I think it's sort of describing the, the that change beginning yeah, actually, that's a perfect analogy to use because, like, I mean, you kind of get warned that, like, adult life post-university is going to be weird and tricky, but, like, you really have no idea until you stepped off of that. And, I mean, like, I'm sure there's a lot of ways that you can, I mean, put that in your own life. Like, I know that you're you're a doctor, but you left your career, and now with COVID, you've come back, so your life has sort of shifted very drastically yeah it's been um it's been a real trip I was like you know quit my job I worked all last year took last year largely off music other than when I made this album um and I was working full-time as a doctor in a hospital in Sydney and then the you know last day of January I quit my job and threw my backpack on the ground with my stethoscope and was like see you never and was like you know I'm gonna go touring around the world and promoting this album and um, and then, you know, flew to Europe and four weeks later I was back here. And it, I mean, you know, in Australia, COVID hasn't really taken hold. We sort of thought it would. So they put all these measures in place and I'm kind of on the, you know, the call list for the COVID clinics that are supposed to be set up or, you know, when a team needs to be rotated out of the hospital, but, um, the, that it just hasn't kind of escalated to that point yet. So I'm sort of, you know, in this weird no man's land where, there's not really enough medical work to go around and I also can't fully do my music job. So, um, you know, <laughs> it's a strange, strange spot. Yep. 
it's it's a very weird stagnant period like i was supposed to be in london in may visiting friends i had like you know i mean for all of us this is just like uh like you just don't really know what to do with it (laughs) that is the general vibe yeah um but but yeah so as as unready says you just don't know (laughs) where things are gonna go it is it is an interesting one um I feel like I'm going in like a semi-linear way with this album where it's like kind of first song, then third song, then second. So now we're going to go to fourth. Um, And that, of course, is Sandwiches. And that one's also an outlier a little bit in the album because that one has to do with family and their role. Yeah, yeah. It's sort of like the, yeah, you're right. Unready was sort of, you know, the first one like that predates it. And Sandwiches is kind of like the end of the story. Um, I actually always thought it was going to be the last song on the album, but then we made it and we were like, nah, this should be third. Um, so we um, sort of, you know, renegotiated all of that. But it's the end of the story because, um, you know, all the things we've been talking about of these big questions of identity and, you know, sexuality and mental health and all the rest. Um, obviously, I was kind of coming to terms with that on my own terms. And I... Uh, was very, very close with my grandmother. Um, her name was Ailsa, but we called her Ama. And I, she was like my third parent. You know, we grew up just next door and um, she helped raise me. And we were very, very close and, you know, remained always calling each other. And um, I went through this period at the end of 2017 where, you know, this new relationship began, these sort of identity questions began. And I just decided that I wasn't, I didn't want to have the conversation with my grandmother about it. She was 95 and, you know, she's from a small country town and she was, you know, grew up in the Catholic church. And I was like, I just don't want to put her on the spot and complicate the relationship um, at all. And over time, um, you know, and with the help of my dad, he was like, I think that you'll sort of regret if you don't have some of these conversations with her. Um, and so, you know, he, he did it for me because I sort of just didn't, didn't feel up to it. And, um, you know, she then called me when I was traveling and she said, you know, I spoke to your dad and he told me about this new relationship you're in with this girl. And, um, you know, I, I want you to know that I love you. And we had this really, um, beautiful conversation and I went home to Canoundra where I'm from a couple of weeks later and I spent six weeks there, which was quite unusual because I um, had been, you know, touring and overseas for so long, but I just, I kind of wanted to go home to spend some time there. I'd also run out of money. So I went back to my like summer job of, you know, planting roses. Um, And it meant that I got to see her every day and it like, I was home for a week and she became a bit unwell with like a cough and cold and she went into the hospital and about six weeks later, she died. Um, and, you know, we'd, we'd got to have those conversations that I would have forever regretted if that we, you know, if we hadn't had them. Um, and it was sort of the end of this, the story that the record tells. Um, and the, the Saturday morning that she died in hospital, I was outside her room um, with my mum and we, you know, my dad and all his siblings were kind of around her bedside and my mum and I realised no one had really eaten um, that day. And, you know, we were all sort of so caught up in what was happening. So we just, like, you know, went down the street, picked up some stuff 
um, for lunch and we came back and we're just making these sandwiches and we start passing them around to people saying, you know, come out, have something to eat. Um, and it was sort of that little moment where we took, you know, a break and a breather um, that she just very quietly slipped away and, um, and yeah, you know, sandwiches is really starts with that specific moment but then goes on to just really commemorate my relationship with her and and you know that the way I think about grief is has changed a lot over time and the way I think about death and you know I'm probably not so much a heaven and hell person as a you know you you remember people and you sort of you know wade through those memories and that's how you know you process grief and that's how you sort of stay connected to people that are no longer physically with us. Yeah. Um, you know, what you're saying reminds me of both of my grandmothers. One, um, so my family's Italian, so I also, you know, have very Catholic grandparents. And my cousin came out to my maternal grandmother uh, maybe a year or two ago. And for her, it was the same thing. It's, I love my family, and that's a priority. And seeing that bond and that being what overrides everything else is such a, a beautiful thing. That, you know... It is. It really is. And I think that, like, sometimes I found through all of this, like, you know, when you when you kind of put someone to the test almost, you know, you're like, here is something you have to now work out what you're going to do with it, how you're going to react. Like, you know, I've been incredibly lucky that every time I have had any of these conversations with the people I love, they have just reciprocated that love um, and I think, you know, then people say things to you that, you know, that they otherwise wouldn't in general conversation. And, you know, that time my grandma called me when I was in L.A. to say I love you. Like that was actually the last phone call that we had, um, you know, because then I went home and she passed away. So I just yeah, I think um, that also probably helps me be a lot more transparent about this whole story with the record, because, you know, even from that, I kind of gained so much from being sort of honest and, and vulnerable. Um, and, you know, I'm finding that I still am like people that I talk to about this record, uh, you know, they, they can sort of find something in it and find something in that, in that vulnerability. And that's a, that's a really special thing. It is. And you kind of get to carry her with it with you now and be like, she's on my side and she's, you know, celebrating me doing this. And that's awesome. Yeah, totally. Um, the other thing, if I may, so I, I lost my own, my paternal grandmother, the other one, a few weeks ago, due part to COVID and dementia, but one of the things that I love about the song Sandwiches is that it picks up on all these little memories and how those are the things that we hang on to when someone passes, and me and my cousins and my aunts and uncles all got together and we were sharing all of the little things that we remember about my nana like one of the things that I remembered is walking escorting her I think around like my cousin's wedding and I was barefoot and she stepped on my toe with her heeled shoe and for some reason that sticks with me because even as she you know stepped on my tiny little toe with a very pointy um pointy heel um she had this like sweet dignified look on her face like she was just proud to be around her family and it's weird that that's what sticks with me, but it is, you know? Yeah, it is. And I think, like, often it's it's funny because it's some of those sensory things. Like, obviously, you're, you know, maybe your toe makes was painful. And, you know, that's something that jumps <laughs> out at you. Or, or it's a smell or it's a, 
you know, of, of something like, you know, that you can feel like, you know, if you're a, feel a cashmere jumper or when I smell the brand of hairspray that she used to use, or, you know, even when I like smell like cauliflower in the microwave, like it's, you know, all those things like transport you back. Um, and, you know, she had the great fortune of living to be 95 and we were so lucky to get her for that long. Um, and, you know, so, so the song was really a celebration of those those moments rather than you know uh, that sort of ra- rather than just about grief yeah no it, and it really reads that way I mean even like it's an upbeat song it's not you know it's not slow so it is it's it's celebrating her which is really really beautiful um, um I guess like going more towards the end of the album now um two two, two songs that I find kind of go together are hate the world and look like you and I mean, the line, look, like, you're looking at me thinking, why don't I look like you? Like, just, it absolutely kills me. Um, but just this whole idea, like, both of the songs being, like, how would I say? Like, telling the world, like, even if you don't get this, like, I am going to be okay in who I am, and this is who I am, you know? And Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, that's, um, yeah, you're spot on. Like, the, you know, hate the world is, um, it's probably more, like, outward looking you know like like you know I, I i wrote it after i saw hannah gadsby who's an australian comedian put yes. on this um yeah the one woman show nanette i saw it i saw it in new york i you know basically was kind of writing about that you know she was talking about people that are prejudiced and that you know look at a group of people and and hate them because of the color of their skin or because of their sexuality or whatever it is and and that song was really, you know, just that sort of frustration and anger at like, why, why are you like that? Like, why, why, why do you have to spread that sort of feeling? And why, how could you hate, you know, I would never presume to hate somebody um, that I, you know, I'd never met that I didn't know based on something that's just innate to them. Um, and then Look Like You is kind of like the, um, the more inward looking kind of meditation on that. And you know, it was yeah, probably like a, um, you know, one of my, one of the more vulnerable moments on the record because it's, you know, it, it, it's kind of like that, that fear and shame that you get with, um, you know, whether it's a coming out or whether it's whatever, um, you know, sort of that, the, the fear about, you know, what someone will, will think of you just because you're different to them. Mm. Just out of curiosity, how many takes did it require for you to do look like you? Um, we just the one. Yeah, we just I did can it. Hear as, it. Yeah, we just kind of did it as like a single, like vocal and piano. Like I just sat down and played the thing, um, and then I I was like I was like I'll just do a couple more like to see if I can do it better, um, and you know then Chris and Zach were like no nah, it's just that's the first one, um, and so we just kind of went with it and you know there are little sort of imperfections and stuff but I think yeah it was it's the only really like performance moment on the record um and it was a really like moving experience we sort of I did it and then we sat down and I kind of listened to it in can like in the headphones and um I was I just kind of was yeah couldn't stop becoming really emotional like listening to the take because there's just so much of you know that fear and anguish that I was feeling is really wrapped up in this song 
But I mean, I at least I would hope. It, I think it's kind of nice when you get these things out because it isn't. I think you said something about this earlier. It's kind of like the fuck you pain. I've taken this and turned it into something beautiful and that I get to give it's... to other people. Yeah. You know. Totally. Just to create, and then again, by the time we we get to the end of the album, it is that. I don't know, it just feels like there's so much acceptance by the time that you get to Free Association. Yeah, I think, like, Free Association, by the time that song comes around and limits as well, it's just, like, you know, it's just being in the relationship and it's it's, it's not, um, you know, it's not a study of those feelings of anxiety and anguish and fear anymore. It's just, you know, it's just, like, what being in love is like. Mm-hmm. It's like, what's the line, come stand in my kitchen... I want to sleep in my bed. Yeah. Thank you, that one. Yeah, it's, again, it's the little things, but being like, no, this is what I want, and I'm going to ask for it, and that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. Our Two Skins will be available on June 26, 2020, everywhere you normally get your music. This podcast is hosted, produced, and edited by myself, Sophia Lopercaro, and the artwork is by Meg Welford. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.